So Money episode 78, Frank Curzio. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Torabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. Welcome, welcome to So Money. I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi. I am so thrilled to welcome our very first stock expert and active investor on the show. His name is Frank Curzio. He's also a friend. Now, by now, you probably know that I subscribe to the passive philosophy when it comes to investing that I just like my index funds. I do. However, a lot of you have expressed interest in participating directly in the stock market. So I thought that Frank would be a really fantastic resource for all of us and could give all of us another perspective on investing so that we can decide which one is right for us. Now, I mentioned Frank is a friend. I've known him for almost a decade. He's one of America's most respected and recognized stock experts. He's been analyzing the stock market for almost 20 years, and he's traveled all over the world to find the best companies to invest in. He currently writes the Disruptors and Dominators newsletter for Uncommon Wisdom. It's a division of Weiss Research. And prior to that, he was an analyst and editor at Stansbury Research. Frank has also experienced working for one of the richest hedge fund managers on Wall Street and is the host of the Wall Street Unplugged podcast, which has been ranked number one on Apple's iTunes website as the most listened to financial show in the business section. That's crazy. It's amazing. Three takeaways from our time with Frank. One, how to get started if you're a beginner investor. Two, why Frank prefers to spend a little more money even if he doesn't have to. Hmm. And three, early memories of being the son of an investing pro. Without further ado, here is the fabulous Frank Curzio. Frank Curzio, welcome to So Money, my friend. It's been a while. It has been. It's been way too long, way too long. But I read all your stuff. I love watching on TV. And I'm so glad we're able to hook up, especially in the podcast world. Yes. And you've been doing podcasts for, I think, like 10 years. Yeah, it was interesting because you worked with me at the street. And Aaron Task used to do the Real Story podcast. And he left to go to Yahoo Finance. So they were looking for someone else to do it. And I have to be honest with you, I kind of did it as a goof, right? Because, you know, they asked me and I was like, yeah, you know what? I'll just do it. You know, I don't care. And I didn't have a script or anything. And I just went on there and I started ranting about everything because it was a time <laughs> in the markets where I was just, you know, yes. upset and everything. And, you know, I didn't really care about it. I, you know, and next thing I know, you know, I think they had four or five other people to try out for it. It wasn't like I was trying out. I just said they were almost like bothering me to do it. <laughs> and then afterwards they said, we have like hundreds of emails that came in. Everybody wants you to do it. And I'm like, great. You know, next thing I know, like, like you probably realized, you know, I started doing it and it gets addicting. You know, I'm like, wow, mm-hmm. this is really cool. And it forces you to do even more research to learn more about your guests. And it was educating me with each guest that I interviewed. And 10 years later, here we are. I'm still doing it. It's pretty crazy. It was so nice to see a familiar face in the podcast store on iTunes. When I first launched, I was like, oh my God, Frank, I didn't realize you had, you know, <laughs> continued to do to podcast and so successfully. Um, I wanted to bring you on the show, not only because I admire you and you're a friend and I wanted to Thanks. reconnect selfishly, but I think for listeners, you bring tremendous value to their financial lives. Now on this show, and I think 
in the general personal finance sector, there's a lot of emphasis on passive investing, right? Index funds, indexing, um, just, you know, set your 401k and forget it. And you do the opposite. You advise, you're really about focusing on wise uh, investment choices, sometimes that have to do with individual stocks, um, following certain sectors. You have a very popular newsletter. People subscribe to your advice. Uh, what would you say to someone who um, is interested and intrigued by stock picking, but they don't have necessarily the stomach for the risk? You know, they they want to really maximize their their investing potential, and they know that stocks is the way to go, but they want to do a little bit more than just indexing, but in a safe way. Is that even possible? It is possible, and it's good that you bring that up because most newsletter writers, and I've been doing this all my life. It, it, they don't provide risk management strategies, which are very, very important. So before anyone subscribes to my newsletter or does anything, I always let them know about the risks. Because every newsletter person, if you've been in business for the last 10 years, you're always going to have winners. People like to market aggressively, so they're only going to tell you the good things. But in truth, we all have losers sometimes. It's just a, a matter of, of the stock market. That's the way it is with Buffett and IBM, with Ackman and Target. I mean, great, great, fantastic investors. But we all get it wrong sometimes. And I think out there in, in the newsletter community, financial newsletter community, that's not really explained too well. So what I like to do is, is put stop losses on my stocks. This way, uh, there's a, only a certain amount of money that you would lose on the stock, maybe a 30%, maybe a 20% stop loss. Uh, I have buy up two prices. This way I make sure that my subscribers buy below a certain price, which increases their return or their rate of return in the future. And you have to use these money management techniques. And, and I like to, to explain that to people even before they subscribe because it's very, very important. Because when you see a newsletter, you're going to see you know, 15, 20 recommendations. And you know, I travel the world to find these recommendations. I've been a research analyst for, for 25 years. My, my dad's been in this business. My late dad uh, passed over his business before I went to the street.com where we worked together. So I've been in this business literally all my life. And when you get the newsletter, the first thing you want to do is just buy stocks and go crazy. But that's why with my podcast, I try to, to have educational segments and try to teach people how to invest in these stocks, what a balance sheet means. And I try to explain it as, as someone who's not like us, who's in the industry, but has another job. Like they're doing this on the side. So, I mean, they're experts in their own particular industry. Well, I'd like to consider my expert, you know, an expert in finance. So I try to explain that to them and, and what it is to buy a stock and not to get personal about it and to take profits and to limit your losses. And that's why the podcast is a good complement to my newsletters. But that's how the whole thing works. I think everybody could do it. If you feel more comfortable, index or passive investing is pretty cool too. You just got to be careful. It doesn't mean that there's less risk. You're just buying like a portfolio of stocks through ETFs. And sometimes that's the best measure too uh, of, of getting into the market, but just learning from something like that. So hopefully that answers your question. It does. And I, I get a lot of questions from my listeners who a lot of times are, are just starting out. Let's say they're in their 20s. They are grappling with student loans and maybe some credit card debt. And they have income and they've got sort of this, um, their eye on the investment prize. Like they want to invest and they want to they want to know when they can. You know, like as soon as I pay off my student loans, as soon as I'm out of credit card debt, as soon as I have some extra money every month, where should I put my money? What stock should I buy for new? I'm like, you're, you're barking up the wrong tree. Like I am not here to give you investment <laughs> advice. So, but I would, but I would like to be able to tell them when is it an okay time for them to become more participated, to participate actually in the stock market 
it, but not passive investing, but actually picking some stocks. I, I mean, we both worked with Jim Cramer and he, uh, obviously, you know, mad money, he's all about targeting specific stocks, but he even says like, before you start, you need a certain minimum, you know, you got to still try to play it with a diversified approach. What's your advice? My advice is if you're going to start in this market is definitely use real money. Some people say, well, I'm going to track a model portfolio and go to Yahoo Finance, which is a free site. I mean, you probably have tons of free sites. Finviz.com is a free site where you could see news from blogs and and you could actually see the updated news through Bloomberg and Reuters and stuff like that. So there's a lot of free sites out there, but you want to use your own money. So many people – try to create a model portfolio where you know they'll buy stocks and say, okay, say if I own 100 shares of this or 50 shares of Yahoo, whatever. Uh, it, you have to have your emotions involved because it's a huge process because when you lose money, you tend to think differently. Even I do, and I've been in this business for 25 years. So people say, you should take the emotions out of it. It's very difficult, especially when a stock goes higher. It's kind of easy to buy it, but selling it is really difficult. And I see people... Uh, continue to hold on to their losers for 50, 60, 70% losses when they don't realize, you know, when a stock goes from, uh, you know, $10 to $2 and you're down 80%, uh, in order for it to go back to 10, you know, you got to go up several hundreds percent to get back up there. So, and not only that, you're holding on to these losers. And what are you thinking about that losing position? You're looking at it every day instead of maybe you stopped out at 20%. And now, you know, you're looking for new ideas. So it's just like for me, I would tell beginning investors or beginner investors to use money that if you lost, it would hurt a little bit. You know, not like you're in a lot of trouble or especially if you're young, you can use more money because you have more buying power compared to somebody that's retired. But definitely use money where if you lost it, it would hurt. You need to look at these stocks to see what's going on because then you're more emotionally involved and it's actually real money. That's what I would do. And not not to the point where you're going to lose like 80% of all your money invested, but like a few thousand dollars for someone in college where if you lost a thousand, you're like, man, I just lost a thousand dollars. But you want to be invested in these stocks and you could open up accounts, so many different brokerage firms, uh, you know, and, and usually these trades are kind of cheap between $6 and $10. But that's what I would do. Buy some of the stocks that you know that you like. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you have an Apple phone, buy Apple if you want it. You know, you, everyone's subject to different stocks. Your kids, you know, you take them to Disney, buy Disney. Uh, but invest in stocks that you know that you could follow all the time. That's what I would say for beginning investors. And one more point here. We are in the same playing field for the first time. This happened like like 10, 15 years ago, but we're able to listen to conference calls for free at the same time that the best analysts in the world are able to listen to. We used to never have access to that. Every quarter, these companies, no matter what company it is, uh, you know, Disney, GE, they have a conference call where you could sit there and listen. And these guys talk about their quarter, which is the past three months, what happened in business and what's going to happen in the future. And they talk about a ton of industries, especially GE, which is involved in so many different aspects of the market, alternative energy, GE finance, you know, industrials, where you can get a better feel of how the economy is doing and stuff. That's what I would urge people to do, to listen to these conference calls of the stocks that you own. It's for free. You just go to their website. It happens every three months and you can click and listen to free. That's the best advice I can get for beginner investors. Uh, and I think that strategy usually works. And it's a toll-free number. <laughs> yeah, it's a toll-free number. You can listen, you can listen through the web. Yeah, you can listen through the web. It's taped, yeah. you know, and you can just click it. But you're listening to it, and you, you get to understand these businesses even more. And write down all your questions. We live in a in, – look, even for me, when I study stocks, uh, you know, what I love about my job is I'm always learning something new every day. And I cover – you know, I used to have to cover 2,000 stocks with Jim Cramer when I was his research analyst. So 
Uh, you know, I know, of course, stocks across every single industry, and we have Google today. I mean, there's no way you can self-educate yourself so easily. There's no way you won't find out something about a particular stock or a particular subject that you could keep researching and researching and researching to the point where it's going to make you a much better investor. So that's advice I'd give you to, again, everything that I've given you so far is almost for free other than putting money in the account and buying stocks. Just one issue though, Frank, you're like, so on the, on the positive side, there's all this information, there's all this transparency that is accessible and free, but we're also living in a world where, um, we have high frequency trading and some people feel like there's no way that I can, um, make, uh, a profit given that, you know, the buying and selling is happening so quickly and institutions are buying like these huge batches of stocks, like within milliseconds and selling them within milliseconds. How do you, what would you say to the investor, the beginner investor who feels like I'm already defeated and I haven't even started investing yet? I would say to beginning investors, don't trade. Do don't not become a day trader. I mean, that's what everyone's dream. I could sit home and become a day trader. I've been in this business again for over two decades, and maybe one percent, two percent of the people I know who who tried out day trading have become successful at it and can make a living at it. So it's very, very difficult, even for me. You know, I'm not a day trader. What I do is I like to buy stocks based on future catalysts. Uh, from talking to the experts that, that I interview uh, on my podcast, and uh, you know, I've been well connected just like you because we've been in this industry almost our entire career. So what I want to do is is buy stocks with certain catalysts, like um, for example, the Internet of of things is just a trend where everything's going to be connected one day. So not just mobile phones and tablets, but we're talking about thermostats, cars, uh, machines, everything's going to be connected. So for me, a good play was Skyworks Solutions, which is uh, a great play. They make the chip makers for all these parts that, that are able to connect to the internet. So for me, I know this trend's going to take place. It's going to be huge over the next five years. Cisco's predicting like 9 billion devices are going to be connected. Uh, over the next few years, and you say, "Wow, that's you know nine billion devices. That's more people than are on the world." But if you think about it, you know, how many computers do you have? One at work, one at home. You have a tablet, you have a phone, your thermostat, maybe a car. I mean, you're talking about six different connections per person for some people. So, who makes the parts for all of these? Apple's going to be a huge beneficiary because they make a lot of these products. But Skyworks is is the company that makes the parts that go into the Apple products and Apple phones. And, uh, you know, GoPro cameras and stuff like that. So for me, I thought Skyworks is a great play over the long term, was able to recommend and the stock did very, very well. That's how I look at investing where don't worry about high frequency trading. That's more about getting in and out of your position. If you're going to be a day trader, you might have to be concerned. But if you become an investor, you know, Warren Buffett's not talking really about high frequency trading because he buys stocks and holds them forever. The only reason why he talks about it is because they'll ask him a question about it on CNBC or Fox. But it's not really a concern for the individual investor. Plus, real quick, the individual investor has a significant advantage because Warren Buffett cannot go in and buy small stocks because his fund is just too big. So you can go in and out of stocks you know, within months at a time or a year at a time where, you know, you, you have more ideas to look at than the average hedge fund because they're so big. And when they buy these stocks, they could push them up 10, 20 percent. And if they go down, they can never go out of them. There's just not enough volume. So you actually, as an individual investor, have an advantage over some of these big hedge funds. 
Well, Frank, you didn't just wake up one day and have all this knowledge, right? You have amassed this intelligence over years, decades. You were, as you said, you were kind of grew up in this environment. Your father, Frank uh, Curzio Sr., was a portfolio manager. He wrote his own financial newsletter for over 30 years. So I want to go down memory lane a little bit with you. But before we do, one question. What is your biggest financial philosophy, your money mantra that guides your you know, the way you make decisions about money. The way I make, it's such a good question because we all talk about how we could save and what we could do. You know, for me, and this is going to be totally against probably everyone's philosophy out there. Um, I like to spend money on the things I love because I'm more about moments. So for me, I like to work hard, save as much money as I can because I like to spend money on things I like to do, which is, you know, include whatever. If it's a concert, it's your favorite, uh, your favorite group, buy, you know, second, third row seats if you want. Is it going to cost money? Yes, it costs a little bit of money, but it's an experience that's going to be fantastic. So for me, uh, I'm about experiences and I like to spend money a little bit. So f- that makes me work 10 times harder to enjoy those things because I'm going to remember when I sat third row for my favorite group and I'm mm-hmm. with my wife and hanging out and going crazy. That's something I'm going to remember the rest of my life compared to, you know, making all this money and not spending it and enjoying the moment. So for me, I realized over life that it's important if you work really, really hard, uh, you deserve to spend a little bit of that money. Whether it's your family or you want to buy your daughter a new bicycle or whatever, something's going to make you happy and experience. That's what I learned over money. And another thing I learned too is, and I don't know if this is a question that you're asking, but all my life, and, and I, you know, my father taught me this, is I always took care of the people who are closest to me, not my family. I'm talking about the people that are closest to my house. Whether it's the person that delivers your mail, whether it's the person that takes out your garbage, whether it's the person that cuts your lawn, pay them a little extra. You know, everyone's looking to save money. These are the people that are most important. They're around your house. They're around your kids all the time. And I can tell you, whenever I call these people, I'm not telling you to to double what they're charging you, but give them a tip at Christmas time because these are the people that are going to be there for you immediately if anything happens to your house, anything happens to your family. And I realized that over life that that's been a huge lifesaver for me where I can count on so many different people because even my babysitter, for example, whatever, she's charging like $8 or $10. I'll give her a little extra money. And whatever I need, she's available all the time for me. So as a money thing for me, we always talk about how you could save. For me, I always said, okay, what are the the smartest ways to spend that are going to make me happy? And that's kind of the things I like to do. I don't know if that answers your question. No, it does. And I love that answer. And I love especially that you focus on experiences. Had you said that I like to spend my money on cars and fancy, uh, you know, whatever things, (laughs) objects, um, you know, I think that's a little more short lived, that happiness. You know, it's something like mm-hmm. we just, we buy, we're excited, and then it dies, that happiness. But experiences live forever. And um, I'm a big proponent of that. Absolutely. Great answer. Oh, thanks. Thanks. All right. Well, take <laughs> us down memory lane, please. I want to learn how you, like, what's one significant money memory that you have from childhood that's really vivid, that's still painted in your brain? Like, you reference this from time to time because it did, as an adult, shape the way that you think about money and act with your money. When I was younger, my dad, uh, you know, I like to call him like the Jim Cramer of like 10 years prior, 20 years <laughs> prior. And Jim Cramer always interviewed my dad. He was on CNBC. And back then, like 30 years ago, there was only like 10 or 15 people that were on CNBC that people listened to where you have hundreds, maybe thousands of people that are on CNBC. So, so hard to keep track now. 
And he was one of those people. And I remember where he was, he actually called the 1987 market crash in writing. It was the only person I know that did it in writing. There's a million people that said they called it. He was the only one in his newsletter on October 1st said, he titled it crash. Uh, and I've seen people the months before come in and we were managing money at the time and he turned them away and said, look, there's nothing I could do for you right now. Come back in about six months. And I've never seen that in, in the industry. But once he called the 87 market crash, we had a small office. And next thing you know, there's about 20 news vans in Queens, New York. Uh, everybody thought like, you know, there's a big drug dealer that just got busted oh or something. My gosh. Yeah, it was kind of funny. So, you know, I was subject to, you know, he used to take me to CNBC all the time. Maria Bartiromo when she first started. Uh, so I have some great, great memories from my late dad. But one of the things that, that he did is his newsletter business really got huge because he made that call. And he used to pay me five to seven dollars an hour. And all my friends used to come over. And it was like seven or eight of our friends in our living room. And we're all stuffing the envelopes, you know, putting postage on them. You know, it wasn't easy where everything, there was no email back then. So, you know, we were all stuffing the envelopes and trying to put everything in, which is really, really cool. So those are one of the, that's one of the memories that, that I remember is getting f- paid five dollars an hour for that. How awesome that your dad turned away those clients. I don't know if that's uh, the norm. It's not the norm, and I was actually a little bit upset that he did it at the time. Uh, again, and I was I was young. I was just like, why would you? T-? And it was a pretty big account. It was like a two million dollar account, and another one was a million dollar account, which is pretty big for us. Uh, which we had, I think, fifty or sixty million under management back then, which was kind of a lot of money back then. And today's, it, you know, for money management, that, that's considered a little bit small. But it, it taught me a lesson that when you do the right thing, uh, I think you always get paid back in return, and. and no matter what it is, and all the people that I interview, and you're going to interview millions of experts too, when you go out of your way, when you know that they can count on you and you do something, you don't do it for money, you just do it if they need something, especially in a time of need, right? That's when you see who your best friends are. When, you know, God forbid you have to go to jail and you did something wrong, your best friends show up and call you an idiot, but they show up. Those are your best friends are. So, you know, when, when you're there for these people and you do things like that, I think it comes back tenfold. And that's worked for me in my business where I in contact like a hundred different people and ask them a favor and they would do it in a heartbeat because, you know, I try to help them and promote them. Of course, I do my due diligence on my podcast. I'm not just going to put anyone on my podcast in front of my listener base. And, and these guys take the time to come on. So the least I could do is help them when they need it or if they need a contact or they're, you know, whatever. They're looking at uranium stocks. I can get them in touch with like the five best uranium analysts out there uh, and say, hey, this is a friend of mine. He has a few questions. So, you know, that's one of the things that, that I learned from that lesson where, you know, if you do the right thing for people, it usually comes back to you tenfold. And that's what happened in my career. It's a great lesson to learn. Your father had amazing instincts too. Do you feel like that's rubbed off? And if so, what's the next uh, crash, Frank Curzio? <laughs> when <laughs> is that happening? <laughs> you know what? I, I've been bullish and maybe it did run off, but I, I've been bullish for a pretty long time. And, and there's a reason for that. Uh, you know, the Fed is manipulating the markets, right? And you have two classes of people. You have the class of people that complains and says, this is a joke. I can't believe you bailed out all the banks. This is horrible. And there's other people that say, yeah, this is horrible, but I'm going to make money off of it. And I'd rather be in that camp where I understand the whole financial system was going to collapse and, and you know, they had to bail them out. I'm okay. Why interest rates are still at this level? Unemployment is at this level and you, you, know, you still have interest rates. You're still using monetary policy here. It is beyond belief with the economy growing, the U.S. doing as good as it is. You know, record car sales, net worth is at a record high. I mean, again, you could argue some of the things about the economy aren't good, but we're much better than everybody else. While the Fed keeps interest rates low like this, 
that makes stocks a great investment. It doesn't mean every stock's going to go up. You have to be particular, but it's a good investment for the stock market because even for retirees, which you know, which I'm sure for news, you get a million questions. Where could I get income from? Mm-hmm. Uh, people are buying the McDonald's, the IBMs, the Coca-Cola's now instead of keeping their money in the bank. So I just think right now stocks are going to do well. You'll probably see a little bit of a pullback. The biggest thing is interest rates. I'm not talking about one interest rate hike or two. I'm talking about like two, three years down the line when they start going above 2%, 2.5% short-term rates. That's when I'd be worried about the stocks. For now, it's still a very, very good investment. A lot of stocks are not expensive relative to low interest rates. So it's something that I've told my subscribers to be in for, for a long time, uh, over four years. And I continue to say there's a lot of good opportunities out there as long as interest rates remain low. So I'm just trying to see if I remember my... You know, I, I interviewed a lot of CEOs, I interviewed Jim Cramer, I interviewed you mm. at, at the street. So, okay, am I, am I right to assume that if interest rates go up, the companies that are cash rich, um, perhaps the Dow companies, they'll be more likely to weather that because they're not going to be dependent on credit so much and therefore won't feel the, the pinch of the, of, the, of the higher interest rates? That's one way of looking at it. I mean, I don't think they're looking to to make interest on the cash in their bank. I think a lot of these companies are looking to invest that cash, maybe give it back to investors. But it makes companies that are in debt uh, to, to be in a lot more trouble, especially if they, if they have uh, you know rates go go higher. So they're going to pay uh, more uh, on that debt, like student loans. Student loans are. are you know, what is it, a trillion dollar market right now? I think it's- It's Eclipse credit card debt, yes. Yeah, I think, and you know this better than me, but combined, it's combined, if you take every other country in the world, it's not as much as ours. And if interest rates go up on this debt, who's going to get hurt? So that's one way of looking at it. So you're looking at companies like, for example, the oil companies right now, really highly leveraged. That right. means a lot of debt. Oil prices have come down and now they're in a lot of trouble. So if interest rates even rise, they could be in further trouble because they need to borrow money. So when you need to borrow money at a higher interest rate, that's, you know, think of it as your mortgage too. How many times people refinance three times in the last three years, some people, right? Oh, yeah. As interest rates go higher and higher, it's tough to borrow. You're not going to refinance anymore, but we're okay because we have that loan already. For some of these companies, like especially in the oil industry, they have so much debt to drill. They can't really drill right now. They're going to have to take on more debt, and that's where interest rates come into play. So you're right. The cash-hungry companies aren't going to hurt as much, but there's a lot of companies that, that could hurt, and it's going to hurt later on. And we have a history, if you look back, when interest rates, when the Fed hikes interest rates, stocks usually do very, very well as they are hiking, and when they stop hiking, that's when they come down. So we still have room to go in this bull market, I think. What about failure, Frank? I mean, I think failure, out of failure, there's an opportunity to breed success. In your career trajectory, in your lifetime, what is one financial failure that uh, was perhaps devastating at the time, but later was, uh, you're kind of happy it happened because it was a very teachable moment for you? I would say financially, uh, I'm on my second marriage now, very happy, have two kids. I was married for two years the first time, but... Uh, and this is something that your new book is about where, you know, my, my wife started doing very, very well. She had an MBA. She started making a lot of money and it changed her personality to the point where we didn't talk about things. She stopped having fun. We always used to have fun and stuff like that. And my career, this is right when 
right before I think I started the street and, and things started getting well for me. And, you know, but she was making more money than me at the time. But it just, it just changed your perception to the point where we did get divorced. It, it hurt financially for the both of us. It was amicable. I think we got divorced within nine months. We said, OK, we made a mistake. But um, it, that, those are, that's one of the things that, that I look back on and say, you know, it's probably very good that happened. And I'm not saying that she was a bad person or not, but it helped me financially because, you know, I was in debt at the time. I was a little nervous and I was like, well, we had to, you know, sell the house and everything. And, and that got me to thinking where, you know, I don't want to run into that situation again, not just divorce, but I want to make sure that I always have enough money on the side for my family, for my kids, that I'm smart, uh, that I'm diversified. Right now, 10% of my holdings are in collectibles like, uh, you know, it's, you know, paintings, uh, art. Uh, gold coins and stuff. I have a lot of friends in this area where, you know, I'll go visit them in California. They'll take me to the best art dealers. I have, you know, even uh, sports memorabilia and stuff. So I'm very diversified now, more diversified than I've ever been compared to just having cash in the bank, you know, with a little bit of debt. So I have a, a lot of different outlets and also I'm trying to have as many outlets as possible to generate income even outside of my job. So that's very important too long term because I've learned from speaking to very wise people that are much older than me mm-hmm. that they're sitting on houses and collecting income and rent and they're doing very well where some other people are retired, just have their 401k and they have no income coming in and it scares the hell out of them, right? I mean, right. They don't want to invest because they just lived through 2008, 2009. They thought they were set and they watched their 401k fall by 40%. Their home price dropped by 35% and they're 65 and they have no working power. You know, now, you know, they don't want to put any of that money to work and ever, you know, they're conservative. So that's one of the things I learned is one, I'm, I'm trying to look for more income revenue streams for myself at this. And that all came fr- from that divorce because that hurt me financially and got me a little bit worried. How about success, Frank? You've probably scored a number of uh, financial wins in your life. What would you say is the the coolest, the the, the so moneyest moment? <laughs> the so moneyest moment, I have to tell you, uh, has to do when I recommend a stock pick and I know that people do well on. Uh, I have to be honest. When when I get it wrong, I'm angry. I can't sleep. You know, I'm really ticked off. And the day I'm not like that is the day I won't be a newsletter writer. But I enjoy that success of making people happy. So it's not just financially because money isn't everything. It's very, very important, but it's not. But just to have that where you're helping people. And that's why, you know, I have this podcast. That's why you have this podcast. Uh, You know, for me, that provides joy in my life. And, and, you know, again, if you're looking something financially or or a particular stock, I can give you a number of stocks that, that I've done well on. And a lot of people can. But yeah, for me, I, I just like making other people money as well through, uh, you know, through my knowledge and, and helping them out. The fact that, you know, they could uh, buy their kids a new bicycle because of something that I get, you know, of a stock that I gave them. That, that's the joy that I take in what I do. And that's a biggest success than just naming, you know, a stock that went up 500% for me. Because I'm sure so many people who do what I do have a few stocks that they can name. But my success comes from, from, you know, helping other people and making them money and also saving them money and teaching them that risk management. This way they don't get killed when, when we're wrong. Can you give us a specific example? Maybe you don't want to name the stock, but what was the the immediate kind of gratification from that, the, uh, the feedback you got from your, from your followers? Yeah. You know, I mean, even, I mean, recently with, with Skywork Solutions, which is a stock I recommended at 29, it's 90 now. Uh, this is just a couple of years later. We've done very well on a lot of these stocks. 
And, uh, you know, just getting the emails saying, wow, you know, this makes so much sense. This is so great. You know, I can't believe that I bought this stock. And it's really cool to see because, again, you know, we do have all losers sometimes. And unfortunately, in the, in the newsletter business, I know it so well that when I'm recommending 20 stocks, a lot of people won't buy every stock. I mean, 90% of the people won't buy every stock. So they'll pick and choose. And I've gotten emails where they, you know, they chose my three worst stocks. And like, Frank, I'm down so much on this. I'm like, you know, I'm up, you know, 25% of the year, you got my three worst stocks. And I kind of feel bad for them. I don't, you know, I could tell them, well, it's your fault. You should have bought every one of my stocks like I told you to. But you can't really say that. You kind of feel for them. And, you know, so Skywork Solutions is one is one stock. A lot of different mining stocks that I've done well on because I've got great contacts in this area over the past 10 years. There's an industry that's very speculative, but, you know, there's so many people that become billionaires because this industry provides 1,000, 2,000, 3,000% returns for people. Again, it's been very risky. It's been horrible over the past three years. It's, a, it's an area that I'm personally investing in and I'm recommending stocks because I know the particular people behind these companies. They have huge insider ownership, which makes me feel better because if these stocks come down, they're losing money. So it's not that, you know, they're just they're talking up their stock and it's great and they have no insider ownership. These guys have their whole life spent, you know, in this company. I like investing behind people like that who have proven success and also own a huge share of, the, of their companies. What's your top financial habit, Frank? Something that you do consistently, maybe not daily, maybe it is daily, but it's consistent and it's conscious and it helps you make better financial decisions. Uh, if you want to stick to stock investing, I think that uh, there's several rules that, that help me out, that, that, that always help me out, I think. Um, knowing the company, doing the research, boots on the ground. I like to travel a lot and get out there. Uh, these are things that helped me tremendously and have helped me manage to, to have a great track record in this business of beating my benchmark or beating the markets for a very long time is by really doing the research, by doing the homework, anything, not just for stocks, anything you invest in, make sure you do the research and don't talk to the person that loves the same thing that you love. If you want to buy Apple stock and you want to put a ton of money into it, talk to the guy that hates Apple. He'll put things in perspective for you. That's one of the biggest things. You don't want to talk to the 50 people that are going to high five and say, yeah, Apple's great because <laughs> as a contrarian investor, you know, that's not good. Like when I re make a recommendation, I get like 500 emails saying, Frank, that's a great stock. I'm like, oh man, I'm in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> you really want to get the, and when people are like, Frank, this stock doesn't look, I feel much more confident in it. So for me, I always like to look at it from a sentiment indicator or what other people are looking at. That's one of the things that helped me the most when I'm making investment decisions anywhere is I try to do as much research as possible. I want to know that stock more than anyone in the world since I'm recommending it to tens of thousands of people. And more important, I want to talk to the people that don't like this stock. What don't you like? This way I can look at the things you don't like and say, okay, this isn't a concern. This is a concern. Yeah, I see this, but it puts things in perspective for me. And I do admire this about you, Frank, and just to brag a little bit about the, to the extent to which you really take this work. You're not just sitting behind a Bloomberg terminal and making picks. You're actually getting on a plane, flying overseas, going to the marketplace or going to the factory, going to wherever you have to go to get really the behind the scenes. Can you give us an example of that? I, I just want to capture some of these moments that you're, um, that you're experiencing and then relaying back to your newsletter followers. Yeah, it's important. I mean, that boots on the ground approach allows you to, you know, I've been to China, Brazil, Europe, Canada, I've been, you know, all over the world to try to find the best ideas for my subscribers. And it's very, very important in the newsletter industry. And it's not just 
to shake the guy's hand and to see the plants and to understand and get pictures. But it's very, very important from a newsletter perspective because I've been in this business long enough where storytelling is so important. You can't just, if you like Microsoft and I go, well, buy Microsoft, you know, they have great cash flow. Buy Apple, they're going to generate 40 billion in cash flow. They have the iPhone. You know, you link yourself up to everybody else. So why you recommend, what do you see in Apple that nobody else sees? Or what do you see in a certain stock? And by going there and providing this story, it's not just talking to CEOs, it's talking to like regular employees at the firm, people who are familiar with the company, you know, going to a local bar like I did in, in the Bakken in North Dakota when I was looking at oil companies and just talking to the workers there and, you know, from Halliburton and Schlumberger and people who have been working in this industry for so long, you get such an education, but those stories are fantastic to tell your subscribers. And that's how come you, that if you're in the newsletter business and you want to build some subscribers, that's what you do. You do storytelling. It's not just, hey, buy Continental Resources, which is the largest player in the Bakken. You want to tell the story of, of, you know, a guy who just came there who has no education making 20 grand like three years ago is making $150,000 working 60 hours a week and then goes back and visits his family. And how many people are doing this? I mean, this is the storytelling you have to do in a newsletter industry. I think it's very important because it'll separate you from just everybody else that says, hey, you know what? Recommend Continental Resources, you know, and, and put a chart on the screen instead of mm-hmm. broke 200 day moving average because then you link yourself with 100,000 people who are recommending the same stock. So for me, I like to get that story. And, and I also love the storytelling aspect because I love talking to people and I always learn so much because everyone's professional in, you know, whatever industry that they're in. So, and they're using me as a professional in this industry to help them. I want to, I want them to help me as well. I love storytelling too. It's why I do this podcast. So <laughs> I feel you, Frank Curzio. Let's talk about so money. Fill in the blanks. This is kind of my fun way to wrap the show, asking guests to finish a sentence. First thing that comes to your mind, don't overthink it. If I won the lottery tomorrow, let's say an immeasurable amount of money, the first thing I would do is get divorced. No, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Hope your wife isn't listening. No, no, I'm teasing. I'm teasing. Uh, I'd have to give her more money. It's better get divorced before that, right? Financially, <laughs> that's the advice you should be giving me. No, I'm just kidding. But um, the first thing I would do is probably uh, nothing. I'd live my life exactly the same. Yeah. Would you tell anyone that you uh, won the lottery? No. Yeah. No. Because even as, not that I'm successful now, but I have a podcast and I've been in this business for a long time. I've been on TV and stuff like that. But it, I don't know if it's the nature of the business or the nature of America because everybody complains so much and everybody has such a good – from someone who travels all over the world where people don't even have access to water, I can't believe we complain on Facebook on our new iPhones and our new cars of how bad traffic is. You know? Right. But, you know, so I don't know. That, that's just me. For, for me, I wouldn't tell anybody because the more people that I do tell, it seems like they're jealous of your success and sometimes that brings you down. And I don't really associate with yeah. people like that who bring you down. I'd rather be – you know, I was just actually at a Tony Robbins event uh, this past weekend, and he brought up the fact that, you know, it's what's funny is that a lot of times when you're achieving success, your friends like disappear. You know? And it's when we're yeah. when we're down, our friends come and give us hugs. And it's like people start to associate attention and connection and love with when they fail, which is why some people never succeed. Just a little no, food for thought. Great point. It's a great point. And I've experienced that personally. I mean, I have great friends that, you know, just kind of disappeared and don't say anything. And it's just weird because I'd be so happy no matter what they're doing or whatever. And they're just, you know, it's weird that you don't talk to them. I talked to them for 15, 20 years. I don't really talk to some of them anymore. 
What is one purchase that you make that makes your life easier or better? A way that you, you know, spend your money that allows you to live your life in a, in a happier way. Hmm, that's a good question. Uh, you said don't overthink it. One way that I spend my money, I, I think I mentioned that before. I, I, the way that it makes my, my life easier, uh, even my pool guy, like, you know, I, I, I live in Florida and there's a guy that cleans my pool and, you know, I paid him a little extra money and the guy wound up doing like my whole entire backyard. He built like this <laughs> golf course at cost for me on the side of, you know, not like it's not rich or anything. It would have been very, very expensive. If I did it, but I think that makes my life easier by, by helping other people out. Cause they do so many more favors for me and I never have to worry about anything getting done. I know it's going to get done because I pay those people well. How about a splurge? I, I, this kind of, you know, is similar in, in its, and uh, perhaps in, in like how you spend, but like a real splurge that you might spend a lot of money on, but you're, you're happy to do it. Hmm. Let me see. Like, do you travel first class and people like, you know, I get answers, everything from like private jets to my massages to. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, it's tough. Like, um, see, I spend money on everything that I like. Like I never look at it as, oh man, this is too a much guilty money. pleasure. Yeah. And especially if I'm going to enjoy the experience. Like even when I go out with my friends, the one thing I hate, and I don't care if some of my friends don't have money, who cares? You know, I'll pay for your beers. It's the guy that comes in where I'm hanging out with 10 of my friends that buys one beer for himself. That's what really ticks me <laughs> off. So for me, I'm like, just go out, spend $200. Is it going to kill you? No, you know, maybe for some people, but you know, go out and have fun with your friends and enjoy the moment. Cause for me, again, experiences, you don't have too many great experiences. You're going to remember for the rest of your life. I like when I go out just to have fun and stuff like that. And I usually splurge when I do that and I'll buy people drinks and hang out. Cause I know at the end of the day, I'm just going to have a, a really good time. I love that. Enjoy the moment. That's been the common thread throughout this conversation so far. I'm going to, I'm going to add that to my list of financial philosophies. How about one thing you wish I had, what's one thing I wish I had known about money growing up? Growing up, I'd say, I wish I understood the value of a dollar more as a kid. I'm trying to teach my kids that too, because, you know, I spoil my kids just like everybody else. And you try not to, but you love seeing that happy face, right? It's so hard <laughs> when, you know, oh, let me get this. And you know, they're going to play for it for like three days. And they, but I, you know, so, um, I don't know. I, that, that, that's actually a, a pretty good question. So I think you got me a little stumped on that well, one. Well, you had a pretty good upbringing, <laughs> I have to say, above average. Yeah, above average. But just the value of a dollar, I think, mm. is the most important thing. Uh, you know, just to understand, because even like my daughter now, she's like, oh, let's do this. And I'm like, this is really expensive. We can't really do this. And she's like, what do you mean? And for <laughs> we me, have a I, golf course. What do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> not a, it's a, like a putt putt green with the chipping area. But, you know, again, I, things I, I shouldn't do and, and materialistic things. But again, it's, and there's a reason behind that. I had major back surgery. I'm okay now. I couldn't lift more than a gallon of milk for eight months. And the only thing I could do is take a quarter of a swing. I couldn't exercise exercise, can wow. play basketball, can do anything. So, you know, the wife was like, all right, I understand you can't do anything. You could do this. So <laughs> had a compromise. <laughs> all right. Almost done here. When I, when I do give to charity, I like to give to blank because. I don't like to give money to charity often. And I'm a very generous person. I like to give money directly to people because, uh, the charity event for me, when, for example, and I don't want you to think I'm saying a, a bad thing here, but when I go on Walgreens, on the line of Walgreens, I'm like, do you want to donate to this? I hate not knowing where my dollar goes. Uh, I'd rather help somebody that I know that needs to help and, and give them money and say, here, you know what, whatever. You know, and they, they have so much pride with like, oh, I'll pay you back. I was like, pay me back whenever. 
for me with charities, I feel like I'm, I'm giving you money. I don't know where it goes. I don't know who I'm helping. And that bothers me because I love to help people. For example, uh, there's this, uh, you know, this, this wine that you could buy every year that when you buy it, you actually donate to the wheelchair foundation. And when you donate, you actually, whoever you give the wine to, uh, they take some money out of those sales and, and actually buy a wheelchair and you get a picture of the actual person, you know, uh, uh, you know, and they're thanking you like handwritten in a big picture saying, thank you so much. I now have a wheelchair. Stuff like that. I love to do when I know I'm making a direct impact. It's the, Hey, could you give me $5 for the, for the can- cancer society? My dad passed away from cancer. I just hate that. I don't know where that money's actually going. I'd rather do it directly. I totally get that. I totally respect that. I just gave money to a friend's Kickstarter, Last night, um, because, you know, there was an illness in her family and the family needs money to to pay their medical bills. And it was like a no brainer because, you know, I mean, I was in tears basically giving this money over and I totally get it. You know, you I know that money is going to be well served, um, but certainly there are a lot of charities out there that have immense overhead costs that your money is really just going to pay for staples and, you know, um, copy paper. No, it's true. And that that's the biggest thing for me. I hate not knowing where my dollar is going. That's fantastic, though, because now you're emotionally involved. It's oh, yeah. Really cool. You're calling them. That's what charity to me is about than just, you know, again, going online or Walmart. And they're like, hey, you want to donate a dollar to whatever? I'm like, no, not really. I don't even know where it's going. So I like to know where my money's going. And last but not least, I'm Frank Curzio, and I'm so money because... Oh man, I hate talking about myself. Um, <laughs> it's my I really chance do. for my guests to really, you know, just brag I'm a little so bit about yourself. Money? Um, I'm so money because I'm a good dad to my daughters, man. I spend a lot of time with them. I love spending time with my daughters. It's like my whole life. So for me, that's the most important thing. Uh, and you know, the fact that I'm able to, to work at home and I could take an hour in the middle of the day and maybe jump in the pool with them and then get back to work. And I'm a workaholic and I work till two, three in the morning every day because I love what I do. Well, yeah. Frank, you're, I love speaking with you. So candid. Everyone check out frankcurzio.com. His podcast is, uh, well, is it? It's it's aptly named after you, right, Frank Curzio? Frank Curzio's Wall Street Unplugged. Wall, Wall Street, Street Unplugged. Unplugged. Yes. Um, all right, everyone. We'll have all those links at somoneypodcast.com. Frank, so great to reconnect with you. Happy to hear that everything's going so well, and uh, and that you're so money. I'm so money. Thanks so much. <laughs> you're so money, and I'm so glad we hooked up again. And I can't wait to get you on my podcast. That's a wrap. If you'd like to learn more about Frank, and I hope you do, please check out his website, frankcurzio.com. He's also on Twitter at Frank Curzio. His podcast, by the way, is called Wall Street Unplugged. Do check it out. Subscribe. We've got all this info at somoneypodcast.com, where you can also find the transcript and comments from this episode and all the rest. And as always, I want to keep hearing from you. Submit your question about money, work, life, guests at somoneypodcast.com. Very good chance I'll answer it this weekend. Now, if you love what you're hearing and you want the podcast to continue, please spend a minute, leave a review on iTunes. It's a great way to support the show, avoid it from falling into obscurity. As I've been saying, good reviews get you good placement and lots of organic growth. And the show is growing thanks to you. And as a thank you to those who do spend time and 
give some thought to leaving a review. I'd like to extend a thank you by choosing one person. I can't choose everybody, but one person every week to receive a free 15-minute money session with me. I just randomly pick somebody uh, on the Saturday show. I read the review out loud, and that person wins instantly a free 15-minute money session with me. So do the review. Listen to the Saturday podcast. It could be me and you talking very shortly, very soon. So I hope it is. Thanks again for tuning in. See you back here tomorrow. In the meantime, hope your day is so money.